We're going to be learning in Chidushim Aron Riz HaLevi, the first letter in the back of the Sefer, even though the majority of the Sefer is structured around the order of the Rambam, but in the back, Rab Velvel includes various letters that he wrote to different people on random Torah topics. So in the next two recordings, we're going to look at the first two letters, both of which are written by Rab Velvel to his nephew, Rab Yosef Dov, the son of his brother, Rab Moshe, and Rab Chaim's oldest grandson. So these are two very nice letters between two towering Talmidei Chachamim, Reb Velvel and Reb Yosef Dov, who later became famous as a Rosh Hashiva in YU and one of the major figures in American modern orthodoxy. Now, this letter comes from 1921, so Reb Yosef Dov is about 18, and Reb Velvel is the relatively new Rav of Brisk. Reb Chaim had passed away about three years earlier, and Reb Velvel is now the key figure in the Brisker movement. Now, even though Reb Yosef Dov Dov is young, but he was already known as a great genius and someone very immersed in brisker style learning already from his early teens. So it makes sense that by 18, he would be sharing an important chiddush with his uncle and Rab Velvel would be responding. Now, in this recording, we're going to focus on the Torah discussion between them, but it's worth saying something about the history because there was a certain amount of tension in this relationship. They were both very, very different sorts. Rab Velvel was one of the leaders of the right wing, both in Europe and then after the Holocaust, when he and his surviving children went to Eretz Yisrael, they were leaders in the right wing yeshiva world there and architects of it. Whereas Rabbi Yosef Dov went in a totally different direction. He was one of the major modern Orthodox Rosh Yeshiva in America. He was very secularly educated in the 20s. He went to Berlin to study in the university and got a PhD. And in the 40s, he was very shook by the Holocaust and he became one of the major figures in religious Zionism. So whereas Rab Chaim, followed by his son Rab Velvel, had been totally against formal secular education and any Zionism, Rab Yosef Dov wrote and spoke beautifully about how important those values were to him. So there were some key differences between Rab Velvel and Rab Yosef Dov. Now, the differences can be traced back actually to Rab Moshe. Rab Moshe already started going in a path that was different from Rab Velvel when he married into the Feinstein, Reb Elia Prezhiner's family, and they were much more worldly and tolerant than the Soloveitchiks. So there's a fascinating book by Reb Moshe's daughter, Shulamit Meiselman, where she discusses this theme, and she even reports that when Reb Moshe first got married, he had a very difficult time dealing with the secular poets and philosophers that were being discussed or visiting the Feinstein home, and he actually even got so upset that he returned to Brisk, and there was some question whether their marriage would survive, but then Rab Moshe came back and he was calmer, and he seems to have adopted a lot of his wife's family values, and he himself seems to have moved somewhat more to the left than his brother, or where his father had been. So Rab Velvel was more similar to Rab Chaim's worldview, and Shulamit Meiselman tells that when her brother Rab Yosef Dov was going to go to the university, so again there was some tension, Rab Chaim had already passed, but others were arguing with her father Rab Moshe, and he was defending his son's decision. So Reb Moshe already seems to have gone in this direction, and many of his kids were very secularly educated and successful in America. So this is a key point that Reb Chaim's legacy really allowed for two interpretations, and his two sons went in totally different directions. Reb Velvel took the brisker legacy as saying that anything outside of Torah is totally irrelevant. Life is defined purely by the 
the study of Torah and living according to halacha. And that was the ideology of Reb Velvel and his sons. Whereas Reb Moshe and Reb Yosef Dov took it in a different direction that they understood the legacy of Rab Chaim as opening the door for more tolerance and being more open to the secular worlds and the concepts that are outside of Torah and using them to understand the Torah in a more rigorous way. So this is a very significant point that at the heart of Brisk are really two different approaches to take the whole movement in. And the two sides of the Soloveitchik family that went in such different directions illustrates the different possible ways of interpreting the Brisker analysis legacy. So this is a very key point. Now, in terms of Reb Velvel and Reb Yosef Dov, so in addition to some of the ideological debates, there was another practical debate between them. Reb Velvel was very against America. He thought that the culture was very materialistic, as opposed to European culture, which even if he disagreed with it, but he thought that it was a higher, less materialistic culture. So Reb Velvel and his kids would vacation in Switzerland. Some of them married Swiss families, but Reb Velvel was opposed to America. In fact, Reb Yosef Dov, in his eulogy for Reb Velvel, which is called Madod Chamidod, so he tells the story that when Reb Velvel's daughter married Reb Michal Feinstein, who was a relative of Reb Moshe and had actually studied under Reb Yosef Dov in the 30s in Boston, so Reb Michal got a job in America, and when they were living here, Reb Velvel was so upset, he wanted them back in Israel that he refused to speak to them, meaning to write letters to them until they relocated back to Israel. So that's an illustration of Reb Velvel's anti-Americanism. And this ended up causing a lot of problems later for Reb Michal's family. Now, ironically, Reb Yosef Dov takes this story as an indication of Reb Velvel's tremendous love for the land of Israel. So he describes him in the eulogy, not as being against Zionism, but being against Zionism, which is not rooted in halacha. So that's Reb Yosef Dove's take on his uncle, although others would have a different read of Reb Velvel and Zionism. But even though it is an indication of Reb Velvel's love for Eretz Yisrael, but it also shows his anti-Americanism, whereas Reb Yosef Dove was very comfortable in America, and he embraced a lot of the culture of America. So all of this just shows how different a personality they had, even though Reb Velvel and Reb Yosef Dov had a lot of similarities, they were both stars in their generation of Brisk. So Reb Velvel was the rising star of the second generation of Brisk, and already at a young age, he was being primed to take over the movement. And Reb Yosef Dov was the star of the third generation. From a young age, he was known to be a great genius. And in all the yeshivas, they knew that Reb Chaim had a grandson who was a rising star in the Brisk movement. So there was a lot of similarity in that regard. And obviously they both came from the same family and they both studied in a similar way and their overarching commitment was to the study and life of Torah. So on all those levels, they were very much connected and their relationship seems to have continued even despite some of the differences, but there were some very key differences in terms of their personalities. Now, there always seems to have been a closeness even though they don't seem to have been very much in touch in their later years. The letters that we're going to look at are from the early 20s before Rabbi Yosef Dov went to the university. But after that, there seems to have been less connection or interaction between them. But there always was a closeness. So in the two letters published in Chidush Maron Riz HaLevi that are to Rabbi Yosef Dov, even though his name is not mentioned, all the letters are anonymous, but we know that they were to Rabbi Yosef Dov. And these are the only letters where Rabbi Velvel calls the person Yakiri, my precious one. 
So this is decades after Rabbi Yosef Dov went down his path and Rabbi Velvel still printed letters that call him Yakiri, which is a very powerful statement. And similarly, on Rabbi Yosef Dov's side, when his uncle passed away in 59, Rabbi Yosef Dov delivered a stunning eulogy, which is called Madod Chamidod, where he describes the greatness of his uncle. And this is one of the premier texts about the Brisker movement written by one of the major figures in it. So he describes the significance and the purpose of Brisker learning. So on that level, it's a very important theoretical text. But on a personal level, you also see the great love and respect and awe that Rabbi Yosef Dov had for his uncle even when he was already an adult and a well-established Rosh Hashiva himself. So he didn't just think of Rab Velvel as his uncle or someone who had been influential on him many decades earlier, but he understood the towering role that Rab Velvel played in the Torah world and the overarching greatness of what he represented. So on both sides, there was a lot of closeness and mutual respect. And that's a lesson for all of us that even if we vehemently disagree with people, we can be totally connected in a life of Torah and the study of Torah. Now, there's a very cute story that illustrates a lot of these themes, which is that when Rabbi Yosef Dov was a teenager and his uncle Rabbi Velvel was only about 15 years older. So he was the young, very impressive Rav of Brisk and he stayed for a few weeks with Rabbi Moshe. So the young Rabbi Yosef Dov was very taken by his uncle and Rabbi Velvel had some very specific mannerisms, which is probably a reference to how he said Shema. He used to repeat the words over and over again until he got the exact pronunciation. So it would take a long time and he would be saying many of the same words over and over. And Rabbi Yosef Dov started mimicking some of his uncle's mannerisms and his father told him not to do that and to become his own person. So this illustrates the tremendous awe that Rabbi Yosef Dov had for his great uncle. But then he went in his own direction on his own path and he developed brisker learning in a way that no one else would have been able to do. And many people have benefited from that. So this this is a good story if it happened as a metaphor for the development of Rabbi Yosef Dov and some of his challenges in becoming his own person and developing the values and the style of Judaism that he promoted. So that's some of the historical context and background to these letters. Now, the letters are a beautiful back and forth between two tremendous Talmidei Chachamim who are discussing these issues and developing new conceptual ways of understanding halacha. Now, in general, reading Rabbi Velvet letters can be difficult because we don't have the letter that was written to him. So we only have his response, but sometimes it's hard to make sense of what he's responding to. So with the publication of Rabbi Yosef Dov's letters in Igros Hagrid, most of those letters are letters that he wrote in Berlin, primarily to his father, Reb Moshe. But there are a few letters to other Torah figures, as well as the two letters that he wrote earlier to Reb Velvel. So now we have the whole back and forth, and now we can really see the beauty of their conversation and the flow of ideas back and forth. So this is a tremendous opportunity to see the way great Talmud write letters in Torah back and forth to each other. So Rabbi Yosef Dov's letter appears in Igros Hagrid on page 197 on the Rambam in Hilchus Tmidinu Musfin Gimel Gimel. Rabbi Yosef Dov begins with a question. The Torah says that when the Kohen Gadol goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur to burn the Ketores, the incense, so the Torah has a rule, no one else is allowed to be in the room 
room with him when he burns the ketores. Now, the Gemara in Zvachim Pei Gimel explains that from the moment the Kohen Gadol enters that room, even though he hasn't started burning the ketores yet, so he's still setting it up, there's still a prohibition for anyone else to be in the room with him. So the Torah prohibition to be in the room with the Kohen Gadol begins the moment he walks in there, even before he starts lighting the ketores. Now, the Gemara in Yuma Memdalid says that the same prohibition applies to the daily burning of the ketores. So every day, twice a day, a regular Kohen would burn the ketores in the Heichal, and there was the same prohibition that no one could be in there with him. So now Rabbi Yosef Dov raises the issue that the Mishnah in Tamid, Perak Vav, Mishnah Beis, and Gimel says that when the Kohen went in to light the Ketores on a regular day, other Kohanim would go in with him to help set it up. And also it says that the people who were in the room wouldn't leave until he began lighting the Ketores. So we see clearly that during the year, while the Kohen was setting up the Ketores, people were allowed to be in the room. The prohibition only started when he actually started burning the Ketores. So why should there be a difference? If it's the same prohibition, why does it start on Yom Kippur as soon as the Kohen Gadol enters the room, even while he's setting it up? But on a regular day, it does not begin when the Kohen enters the room while he's setting it up until he actually starts burning the Ketores. So to answer this question, Rabbi Yosef Dov suggests a basic conceptual difference between the Kohen Gadol entering the Kodesh HaKodoshim on Yom Kippur versus a regular Kohen entering the Heichal on a regular day. When the Kohen Gadol enters the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur, that entering has halachic significance. And this is almost clear in the Torah. The Torah describes it as bivo'o l'chaper ba'kodesh, when he comes to atone in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So we see that the entering itself is significant. Because in general, no one is allowed to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So it's called biarei kanis. There's a prohibition against entering the Kodesh HaKadoshim for no reason. Only the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur has special dispensation to go in there in order to perform the service. So the entering of the Kohen Gadol to the Kodesh HaKodashim has halachic significance that he's even allowed to go in there. And the Gemara in Chulin Yud reinforces this because it says the only reason the Kohen Gadol is allowed to back out with his back first is because that's the normal way of leaving. You go back first. But walking in backwards would be prohibited because that's not a normal way of entering a room. So again, we see that the entering of the Kohen Gadol must be done properly. It cannot be done in an unusual way. So he can't walk in backwards. He has to walk in frontward. So this reinforces that the walking into the Kodesh HaKodashim on Yom Kippur is itself a halachic event because he's allowed to go in there. As opposed to a regular Kohen entering the Heichal on a regular day, there's no significance to walking in there because he's allowed to walk in there. So the entering is not a significant moment in halacha. And likewise, if a regular Kohen wanted to walk into the Heichal backwards, that would also be fine because there's no rules about how he has to enter. It's just a practical point that he needs to be in the Heichal in order to bring the Ketores. So somehow he needs to get in there. But however he gets in there, levitating or walking backwards, it doesn't matter. There's no significance to the walking in. So that's why there's a difference between 
when the prohibition of having other people in the room with him begins. When the Kohen Gadol enters the Kodesh HaKodeshim, he's already done something significant, so the prohibition of anyone else being in there begins already at that moment, even before the Ketores is burned. As opposed to a regular Kohen on a regular day, where entering is nothing, so the prohibition only begins once he starts burning the Ketores. So now, based on this analysis, Rabbi Yosef Dov adds that the Gemara in Yuma Mem Dalid says that the prohibition remains in effect until the Kohen Gadol leaves the room. So even after he started burning the Ktores, until he leaves, there's a prohibition for anyone to be in there. So Rabbi Yosef Dov argues that this only applies to the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur leaving the Kodesh HaKodashim, not a regular Kohen on a regular day. Because the Gemara in Chulin Daf Yud said that the Kohen Gadol leaving the Kodesh HaKodashim had certain rules. Again, the only reason he can leave backwards is because that's a normal way of leaving. So we see that the leaving on Yom Kippur is also significant. So it makes sense that no one can be in the room until the Kohen Gadol leaves the room. And Rabbi Yosef Dov suggests another proof to this idea that the Kohen Gadol's leaving is significant because the Rambam in Hilch Savodas Yom HaKippurim, Dalit Hay, writes that the Kohen Gadol had to wait until the whole room was filled with smoke from the Ktores and only then he could leave. That's how the Rambam explains the language of the Mishnah in Yuma Dafnun Beis that says, V'nismale kol habayis kulo ashan, that the whole house would be filled with smoke. And then the Kohen Gadol would walk out. So we see that he had to wait until the whole room was filled with smoke and only then could he leave. So again, we see that there are halachic rules that govern the leaving of the Kohen Gadol, as opposed to a regular Kohen leaving the room, which has no rules. He can just leave as soon as he started burning the Ktores, and there's no special way that he has to leave, so the leaving is insignificant. So based on Rabbi Yosef Dov's overall framework, what should follow is that on a regular day, there is no prohibition for anyone to be in the room after the Ktores is lit. Before the Kohen leaves, the prohibition is only while he's burning the Ktores. As opposed to on Yom Kippur, where the prohibition extends from when the Kohen Gadol enters until he leaves, because on Yom Kippur, the leaving and the entering are both significant. On a regular day, the entering and the leaving are just practical, they have no halachic significance, so the prohibition does not extend from the entering to the leaving only while the Kohen is burning the Ktores. So this is all a very beautiful analysis, but Rabbi Yosef Dov points out at the end some problems with it. First of all, the Rambam in Tmidinu Musvin Gimel Gimel explicitly contradicts what he just said. The Rambam says that there is a prohibition for someone to be in the room of the Ketores, even on a regular day, until the Kohen leaves. So this directly contradicts what Rabbi Yosef Dov just suggested, that that halacha only applies on Yom Kippur, not on a regular day. The Rambam says clearly that it does apply on a regular day. Similarly, there's another problem. The Rambam says that when the Kohen is sprinkling the blood in the heichal of the inner chatas, which means that the blood is sprinkled on the inner mizbeach in the heichal, so there's a prohibition for anyone to be in the room beginning with when the Kohen enters the heichal, not only when 
while he's sprinkling. So that again contradicts Rabbi Yosef Dov's thesis that there's no significance to a regular Kohen entering the Heichal. So Rabbi Yosef Dov wants to know why is there a difference between sprinkling the blood versus the Ktores, that when it comes to the Ktores, the prohibition is only once he starts burning the Ktores, not when he enters. And the Rambam himself says that in Tmidinu Musfin, Gimel, Zion, and Tess, based on the Mishnah and Tamid that we mentioned earlier, as opposed to the sprinkling where the prohibition begins earlier when the Kohen enters the Heichal. And finally, Rabbi Yosef Dov asks another question, why should there be a difference for the Torahs on a regular day between the Kohen entering versus leaving? The Rambam says that when he enters, there is no prohibition for other people to be in there, only once he starts burning it. But on the other end, he says that the prohibition extends until the Kohen leaves. So why should there be a difference between the entering and the leaving? So that's Rabbi Yosef Dov's letter and his conceptual framework that he proposes for understanding this and then the questions that he ends off with. So now Reb Velvel responds in his letter and he makes a few counterpoints. First of all, he points out that there is an implicit assumption in Reb Yosef Dov's analysis that the measurement for the mitzvah of Ketores is equivalent on Yom Kippur to every other day. So the way Rabbi Yosef Dov gets to this is because the description of the mitzvah of Ketores on Yom Kippur is Nismala Habayis Ashan, when the Heichal is filled with smoke. So the description of the Ketores is that it fills up the room with smoke. Now, the description of the Ketores on a regular day is Mishetala Timrosa Einba Me'ila. Once the pillar of smoke rises, so there's no longer a problem of Me'ila. If someone uses those incense spices for their own benefit. So that's a violation of Me'ila. They're using hectish property. But once the pillar of smoke comes out of the Ketores, so then the spices lose their sanctity. So according to Rabbi Yosef Dov, we see from this halacha that the measurement of the mitzvah of Ketores is equivalent on Yom Kippur and every day. The mitzvah is for the smoke to rise from the Ketores. So now the fact that the regular Kohen can leave before that happens and the Kohen Gadol has to wait until the smoke rises teaches us that the leaving of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur is significant, whereas the leaving of a regular Kohen on a regular day is insignificant. That's the basis of Reb Yosef Dov's analysis. Says Reb Velvel, there is another way to understand this whole issue, which is that there's a different way to formulate the difference between Yom Kippur and a regular day Ketores. They're not the same measurement. When it comes to Yom Kippur, the measurement is that the smoke has to rise, and that's the mitzvah of Ketores. As opposed to on a regular day, the mitzvah is to light the Ketores, not to burn the smoke. So the way Reb Velvel formulates this is that there is an overall halacha that no Kohen is allowed to leave the Beis HaMikdash until the service that he's doing is over. That is a basic principle all over. Once a Kohen begins a service, he cannot leave until it's finished. And one of the proofs for this, says Reb Velvel, is what he heard from his father, Reb Chaim. The Mishnah in Yuma Sameches says that when the Kohen Gadol sent the goat out to the desert that was going to be thrown over the cliff, so they would return to the Kohen Gadol and tell him to read from the Torah. 
So the Gemara explains that they needed to tell the Kohen Gadol that the goat had been thrown over the cliff, so the mitzvah had been performed, and only then he was allowed to read from the Torah. So he needed to get that report before he read from the Torah. So Rab Chaim explained the reason for this is because until the Kohen Gadol got the report that the mitzvah had been completed, he had to wait in the Azara, in the courtyard, and he was not allowed to leave to go into the women's courtyard, the Ezra's Nashim, where he read from the Torah. So he was not allowed to leave the regular courtyard to go to the place to read from the Torah until he knew that the mitzvah he had started of the Seir was done. So that's why the Torah reading was held up until he got the report. So we see from Rab Chaim's explanation that a Kohen can never leave. It's not a special rule of the Ketores. A Kohen can never leave the place where he began a service until it's over. And this explanation of Rab Chaim is indicated by the Rambam because he describes in an Avodas Yom Kippurim Gimel Ches, Kivan Shehigia Seir La Midbar Kohen Gadol Ezras Hanashim Likros Batora. Once the goat got to the desert, then the Kohen Gadol could leave to go to the Ezra's Nashim to read from the Torah. So that indicates like Rab Chaim. So now back to the issue of the Ketores, that's very simply why the Kohen Gadol couldn't leave the Ketores until the whole room was filled with smoke because until then the mitzvah was not completed and he couldn't leave the Kodesh HaKodashim until the mitzvah was completed, which is the general principle. So now, based on this, why could a regular Kohen on a regular day leave before the smoke came up from the Ketores? Why is there no rule that he also has to wait for the smoke of the Ketores for the mitzvah to be completed? Says Rab Velvel, we see from here that the mitzvah of Ketores on a regular day is completed as soon as the Kohen starts burning it. It doesn't require the smoke to come up to fulfill the mitzvah just to be lit. So that's why as soon as he starts burning it, he can leave because he's already completed the mitzvah. Now, what about the halacha that there is me'ilah until the smoke rises? So if the mitzvah is already completed, why is there me'ilah? Says Rab Velvel, that's a halacha in the object of the incense. So the spices do not lose their sanctity until the smoke rises. But that has nothing to do with the person doing the mitzvah. The Kohen has already fulfilled the mitzvah as soon as he starts burning it. But there's more of the mitzvah to be done in the object of the spices until the smoke rises. And then those objects have been used and they lose their sanctity and there's no more me'ilah. So there are two different halachas. One is the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Ketorah is burning it. That's from the person's perspective. But from the object which is being burned, it's not considered to have been used for a mitzvah until the smoke rises. So this is a different way of looking at it than Rabbi Yosef Dov. He assumed that the mitzvah is only completed once the smoke rises, but the Kohen is allowed to leave earlier because there's no significance to his leaving. Rabbi Velvel is saying a totally different approach. That the mitzvah is completed as soon as he burns it, which is why he's allowed to leave, but Me'ila lingers in the object until the smoke rises. So now, using Rab Velvel's framework, he comes back to the halacha that on Yom Kippur, 
The Kohen Gadol couldn't leave the Kodesh HaKodashim until the smoke rises. So he explains in the name of Reb Simcha Zelig, the Dayan of Brisk, that there's a special halacha on Yom Kippur, that the mitzvah of Ketores is not fulfilled on Yom Kippur specifically until the smoke fills up the room. And this is derived from the Pasuk that says, V'chisa anan haktores esakapores asher al ha'edos. That the cloud of the Ketores, meaning the smoke, will cover the aron which is in the room. So we see that the Torah is requiring the smoke to rise for the Torah of Yom Kippur. And that's also what the Mabit writes in his commentary on the Rambam, the Kiryas Sefer. So that's a special halacha that's only relevant to Yom Kippur, that the mitzvah of Ketores is not fulfilled until the smoke rises. But that's a Yom Kippur rule, that the smoke needs to fill the room. It's not a Ketores rule. The general mitzvah of Ketores is just to start burning it, but it does not require smoke. And in addition to this, Rab Velvel adds that the language is also subtly different. On Yom Kippur, the Mishnah says, Nismale kol kulo ashan, that the whole room had to be filled with smoke, which is a different measurement than the daily Ketores, which is described as Mishatala Timrasa, when the pillar of smoke rises. So that's a different criteria. It's not saying that the whole room is filled with smoke. It's saying that there's a pillar of smoke. So anyways, we see that there is a difference between the daily Ketores and the Yom Kippur Ketores. And the way Reb Velvel explains this in the name of Reb Simcha Zelig is that there are different measurements going on. The daily Ketores, the mitzvah is just to burn it. But it doesn't require smoke to complete the mitzvah. Now, it does require a pillar of smoke for there to no longer be me'ila and for the spices to be considered used. As opposed to the Ketores on Yom Kippur, which has a special halacha, not because of the rules of Ketores, but because of the rules of Yom Kippur, that the mitzvah is not completed until the entire room is filled with smoke. And now Reb Velvel adds, and he reverses this even further, because it sounds on the surface Surface, like the measurement of the smoke rising would be earlier than the whole room filling with smoke. First, there's a pillar of smoke, and then the room fills with smoke. Says Rab Velvel, it's actually the other way, because the language of the Rambam in Hilchus Me'ila, Hey Tes Zion, indicates that so long as there is a pillar of smoke rising from the Ketores, there's still Me'ila. In other words, it doesn't mean once the first pillar of smoke rises, there's no longer Me'ila. It means the other way, that so long as there's still smoke coming out of it, there continues to be Me'ila, until the smoke is all over. So that's a later measurement than when the room is filled with smoke. First, the room fills with smoke, and then only after that, the smoke totally dissipates, and there's no more smoke coming from the Ketores. So according to this, it turns out that the timeline is as soon as the Kohen lights the Ketores, he fulfills the mitzvah on a daily basis. The Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur does not complete the mitzvah until the whole room is filled with smoke. And then the final step is that the Ketores spices don't lose Me'ila until the smoke is totally over. So those are the three steps on the timeline that determines Ketores. And this makes sense, says 
Reb Velvol, because the halacha of Me'ila is that so long as this is a usable object that could do the mitzvah, it still has sanctity. So that halacha is trying to figure out when did this object lose the ability to perform its mitzvah, which is ketores. And the answer is once the smoke is done from this ketores, so now these spices are no longer going to be used for a mitzvah. So that makes sense that the criteria for losing me'ila is the latest step on the timeline, even after the mitzvah has been performed by the person, but the object is still doing the mitzvah until the smoke is over. So that's how Rav Velvel explains it. And this very clearly reinforces his larger point that obviously the halacha that there's me'ila until the smoke comes is not talking about when the mitzvah is performed. It's teaching us when these ketores spices are going to lose their sanctity. So that's at a much further stage, which Rab Velvel defines as when there's no longer smoke coming, as opposed to the performance of the mitzvah. So there says Rab Velvel on a regular day, as soon as he starts burning it, he performed the mitzvah. And on Yom Kippur, there's a special rule that the Kohen Gadol doesn't perform the mitzvah until the whole room is filled with smoke. But either way, the general principle is that no Kohen can leave the room until the mitzvah has been performed. So that undermines Rabbi Yosef Dov's analysis that the Kohen Gadol leaving on Yom Kippur has significance, but a regular Kohen leaving on a regular day does not. According to Rab Velvel, there's no special significance to either leaving. Even the Kohen Gadol leaving on Yom Kippur is not a special leaving. It's just a way to get out of the room now that the mitzvah has been completed. And waiting for the mitzvah to be completed is just the general rule of service in the Beis HaMikdash that no Kohen can leave until that's done. Now Rab Velvel continues. The Gemar Menachos Chavav Ahmed Beis quotes a brisa. We know that things that are burned at night, the Kohen can burn them on the altar at night. But what about things that are normally burned during the day, like the komets, the handful of the flower offering, or the levona, or the ktores, the spices? How do we know that he's allowed to burn them right at sunset? So they don't have time to burn during the day. He begins burning them at sunset. And then they burn throughout the night. So how do we know that that's okay? The Torah includes extra burnings. So that includes burning it not during the day, but right at sunset. And the majority of the burning happens at night. So the Gemara asks, If the Kohen starts burning the Ktores at sunset, so obviously a majority of it does not burn during the day. So the Gemara differentiates between starting the mitzvah, so it can continue burning throughout the night, versus allowing someone to eat the rest of the mincha, meaning removing some of the sanctity, which requires a majority of it to burn. So there's a difference between starting the mitzvah, which just needs to start burning before sunset, even if it's only a small 
minority versus changing the sanctity of the object, which could require a majority to burn. So now Rab Velvel asks on this Gemara that we seem to be comparing apples and oranges. The Gemara says that because the Torah said you could begin burning the Ola right at the end of the day, so we see that it doesn't have to burn throughout the day, so the same applies to the Ketores, that you could start burning it right at the end of the day, even though it doesn't burn during the day. Says Rab Velvel, how can we compare these two halachas to each other? The Ola has a rule that it has to be burned during the day, otherwise it disqualifies the carbon. So the Gemara is saying that that burning can begin even at the end of the day and go on primarily through the night. But that's different than the Ketores where there's a special mitzvah to burn the Ketores during the day. So how can we compare the situation of the Ola to the Ketores? The Ketores has to be burned during the day, not during the night. So how does starting burning the Ketores right as the sun is setting fulfill the mitzvah of Ketores? And in fact, says Rabbi Velvel, it seems like the mitzvah of Ketores would be more similar to changing the status of the object, meaning allowing the Kohen to eat the Mincha, which only happens when a majority of it is burned. So the same should be true of the Ketores, that the mitzvah is not fulfilled unless a majority is burned during the day. So Rabbi Velvel tells that he asked this question to Rab Chaim, and Rab Chaim answered him that the mitzvah of Ketores only requires the fire to take hold of the spices even a little bit. So long as a little bit of it starts burning, the mitzvah of Ketores is fulfilled, even though the permission to eat the mincha requires that a majority of it starts being burned. So that's a special measurement for allowing the rest of the mincha to be burned, that the kometz, the handful, has to start burning a majority. But that does not apply to the mitzvah of Ketores, which does not require a majority to start burning. As soon as the fire takes hold of it at all, he fulfills the mitzvah of Ketores. So that's how he fulfills the mitzvah in this case, even though a majority of it burns after sunset. So we learn from this explanation of Rab Chaim, as Rab Velvel's been saying, that the mitzvah of Ketores on a regular day is fulfilled as soon as he begins burning it, not when the smoke rises. And that's why in this case, where he started burning it right at sunset, even though a majority of it and the smoke only comes during the night, he still fulfills the mitzvah so long as he began burning it during the day. So this idea from Rab Chaim reinforces Rab Velvel's whole analysis. Now, says Rab Velvel that based on his analysis, so he thinks that this whole halacha that you only have to begin burning the Torah during the day only applies throughout the year, not on Yom Kippur. When it comes to Yom Kippur, the whole Kodesh HaKodashim has to fill up with smoke during the day before sunset. Otherwise, the Kohen Gadol would not fulfill the mitzvah of the Ketores after sunset. So on a simple level, it's because the rule of Zos Torah Ha'ola is limited only to things on the Mizbeach, not the Ketores of Yom Kippur, which is in the Kodesh HaKodashim. So the whole concept that he could begin it in the day and it completes at night doesn't at all apply in the Kodesh HaKodashim. But according to that, it should follow that if a majority of the Ketores starts burning on Yom 
Yom Kippur, even if there's no smoke throughout the room until after sunset, he would still fulfill the mitzvah. But says Rav Velvel, according to his analysis, so even that is not correct. The whole room has to be filled with smoke on the day of Yom Kippur, otherwise the Kohen Gadol did not fulfill the mitzvah. Because that's what the Torah says, that the room has to be filled with smoke in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Yom Kippur. And that has to be done during the day, not after sunset. Now, in his last step, Reb Velvel concludes that even though he disagreed with the overall approach of Reb Yosef Dov, but there is still a way to preserve Reb Yosef Dov's idea, even within Reb Velvel's conceptual framework. So the difference between them is, according to Reb Yosef Dov, the reason the Kohen Gadol can't leave the Kodesh HaKadoshim until it's filled with smoke is because his leaving is significant, just like his coming in, as opposed to Kohen on a regular day where his leaving is insignificant, so he can leave even before the mitzvah is completed, even before the smoke. As opposed to Reb Velvel understands it, that the mitzvah on a regular day is completed as soon as he starts burning it, Whereas on Yom Kippur, there's a special halacha of the chisa anan haketores that there has to be smoke in order to fulfill the mitzvah. So in both cases, the Kohen can only leave after he's completed the mitzvah, but the completion of the mitzvah happens at different times. There's a special halacha of Yom Kippur, which is different from the regular rule of ketores, that the mitzvah is not completed until there's smoke. So that's the key difference between them. Says Rav Velvel, even according to his idea that there's a special halacha of the chisa on Yom Kippur, that the Torah requires the whole room to be filled with smoke to perform the mitzvah of ketores, as opposed to the regular ketores where the Mishnah talks about a pillar of smoke. But even so, we have to understand what is the difference between Yom Kippur and a regular ketores. So we could formulate it that the Torah is saying that the Kohen Gadol can only leave on Yom Kippur once the whole room is filled with smoke. So it's not about the mitzvah of Ketores. It's not that the Torah is saying until the room is filled with smoke, he hasn't fulfilled the mitzvah of Ketores. That's how Rab Velvel's been formulating the idea throughout. But now he says that we could formulate it along the lines of Reb Yosef Dov, that the Torah is saying until the room is filled Filled with smoke, the Kohen Gadol is not allowed to exit. So there is significance to the exit of the Kohen Gadol as opposed to the Kohen on a regular day where there's no significance to his leaving. So that would be along the lines of Rabbi Yosef Dov, that the Kohen Gadol leaving is significant as opposed to the regular Kohen. So Rabbi Velvel's proposing that even according to his conceptual framework, we could explain that what the Torah is saying is not that the mitzvah of Ketores is not fulfilled until the whole room has smoke. It's saying that the Kohen Gadol cannot leave until the room is filled with smoke, meaning his leaving has significance. So that would fit in with Rabbi Yosef Dov's approach. But Rab Velvel ends with a question because the Torah does not discuss the Kohen Gadol leaving in that Pasuk. It only says that there needs to be smoke. So it doesn't sound like it's referring to the Kohen Gadol leaving. It seems like it's a halacha in the Ketores that the mitzvah is not fulfilled until the 
the room is filled with smoke. So that's like Reb Velvel originally said it, that it's a rule in the Ketores, not in the Kohen Gadol leaving, whereas Rabbi Yosef Dov formulates it as a halacha that the Kohen Gadol cannot leave until the whole room is filled with smoke. So that's the overall debate between Reb Velvel and Rabbi Yosef Dov. And Reb Velvel's approach is based on two comments that he heard from Reb Chaim and one from Reb Simcha Zelig, Reb Chaim's good friend and the Dayan in Brisk. Now, interestingly, even though Reb Velvel's letter is very incisive and it's a very powerful analysis of this whole issue, but Rabbi Yosef Dov seems to have stuck to his guns because in his later discussions of this issue, he sticks with his original approach. So there's a Sefer Shi'ure Hagrid on Avodas Yom Kippurim, which is a collection of Rabbi Yosef Dov's Shi'urim on Yom Kippur, put together by his son-in-law, Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein. And on page 103, he mentions this letter back and forth to Rabbi Velvel, but he sticks with his original approach in that Sefer. And also there's a Sefer Kovetz Chidushe Torah, which is a collection of articles of Chidushim of Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik and his son, Rabbi Yosef Dov, which was one of the first publications of Reb Moshe and Reb Yosef Dov's Chidushim. It was put together with the approval of Reb Yosef Dov. And on page 145, it quotes an article that Reb Yosef Dov published in the Hapardes Torah Journal on the same topic. And again, he sticks with his first analysis. Now here he even adds another point to his analysis that when the Mishnah describes a regular Kohen bringing the Ketores, it says that before he exits, he bows. So he brings the Ketores, then he bows, and then he leaves. So this is a fulfillment of the mitzvah in the Torah of Ishtachavisa Lifnei Hashem, that one should bow in the Beis HaMikdash to Hashem. So the Kohen is able to fulfill that and show respect to the Beis HaMikdash before he exits. So Rabbi Yosef Dov asks, why does the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur skip that step? He does not bow before he leaves after bringing the Ketores. So why is the Kohen Gadol different from a regular Kohen? who brings the Ketores, then bows, then leaves, whereas the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur brings the Ketores and then exits without bowing beforehand. So Rabbi Yosef Dov repeats his whole analysis that the regular Kohen's entering and leaving are insignificant. They're just a way to get to the place to do the Ketores. Whereas the Kohen Gadol's leaving has halachic significance, it itself is one of the halachas. Now Rabbi Yosef Dov adds to this original idea that not only does the Kohen Gadol's entering and leaving have halachic significance, but his entire time that he's in the Kodesh HaKodashim likewise has significance. So the same distinction between the entering and the leaving that the regular Kohen's has no significance, whereas the Kohen Gadol does. So now Rabbi Yosef Dov extends the same idea to their being in the room. The Kohen being in the Heichal has no significance. The only point is to do the mitzvah of Ketores, whereas the Kohen Gadol's being in there the entire time that he's inside from the moment he enters until he exits is all significant in halacha. So now based on this, says Rabbi Yosef Dov, a regular Kohen on a regular day is allowed to bow before he exits the Heichal because it's a good thing to do and there's nothing stopping him from doing that bow. But the Kohen Gadol, his entire time that he's in the Kodesh HaKodashim has significance. So he has to be in a posture of being able to do the Avoda, the service, the entire time that he's in there. So bowing would be a violation of 
that halacha because when he's bowing, he's not in a posture to do avoda. So he's now doing something which is nice like bowing, but it comes at the expense of the actual halacha that he needs to be in a posture of doing avoda the entire time that he's in the Kodesh HaKodashim. So that's why the Kohen Gadol is not allowed to bow, even though on a regular day it's a good thing to do, but on Yom Kippur, when being in the Kodesh HaKodashim is significant, so he has to remain in the posture of avoda the entire time, and that precludes him from doing the bow, so that explains the difference. And Rabbi Yosef Dov adds to this that that's why on Yom Kippur, when the Kohen Gadol does the avoda outside the Kodesh HaKodashim, so the things that are done on a regular day in the Heichal, in the outer room, on Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol does them. But even though the Kohen Gadol is doing them on Yom Kippur, he's doing them because they have to be done every day. So the rules follow the general daily rules. So the Rambam keeps saying in those cases that he should do whatever the normal procedure was, which would include bowing before he exits. So even on Yom Kippur, there is a difference when the Kohen Gadol is doing the specific Yom Kippur service. So then being in the Kodesh HaKodashim is significant and he cannot choose to bow. But when he's doing the regular service in the Heichal, so then he can bow like a regular Kohen because there's no significance to the entering or the being there or the leaving. So that's Rabbi Yosef Dov's later addition to this idea that he originally sent to his uncle.